0: How do you know when a drummer's at the front door? He Keeps on knocking, but he never comes in at the right time. It's, uh... <laughs> I can say these. I've had these tucked away for ages, but I can't say them when I'm not the drummer because that would be cruel, right? It's... <laughs> um... That was cool. There's a presence here this morning. I love that. I'm mean, presence... The omnipresence of God is here all the time. But the manifest presence of God comes when we draw near to him and we seek his face. The, the, the word of God says that the eyes of God scan to and fro across the whole earth looking for hearts that are turned towards him. When we turn our hearts towards God, you know, so often we say, God, we want revival. But if I could just keep going that way. But when we this morning, you know, there's a sense that our hearts are turned towards him. And when we turn our hearts towards God, he can't help himself because he can't deny who he is. You know, I, I said in a sermon a couple of years ago, you know, what, what would the conversation have to be in a cafe that you would be so compelled to join in? For me, it would be if there were two people sitting at a table talking about Lego, I'd have, to, I, I'd have to interrupt, right? I'd be like, I'm in this, here's a chair, I'm in, let's go. And I wonder what the conversation, the posture of our hearts is that compels the Holy Spirit to go, I'm coming in. I'm sitting at that table. I'm going to that church. I'm healing that life because that conversation, that heart posture moves me. That's the church we want to be. Amen. And I get a sense this morning that there are hearts turned towards him. And when our hearts are turned towards him, he can't help himself. He turns up. He moves. He disrupts things. And this morning, I want to talk about divine disruption. There are many things that I've been called in my life. Disruptive would be one of them. And it's not always been used as a compliment. Not even sure what it's been used at, but uh, you know, I'm preaching this morning to my fellow disruptive people. The one who can find a joke in any situation and can't hold their tongue to share it later, but has to share it at the moment. I feel like I'm preaching to the front row over here this oh.
1: I was uh, just thinking, you know, about normal. And uh, uh, But firstly, it's uh, when they asked me to get up and sing, my flesh wanted to say no. But my spirit said yes. Even when I was coming to church, my, my flesh was saying, no, stay in bed, you didn't, you're not on. And, and my spirit said, get up and go and have a shower and go to, be, go to church. I mean, that's... Uh, what the presence I feel right now is that presence of the, the Spirit of God interrupting our pastor. <laughs> but um, right. get it back on. normal. What is normal? When I gave my heart to Jesus years ago, I, I was normal. I was like the world before I gave my heart to Jesus. But then I gave my heart to Jesus. And guess what? Things were no longer normal. Normal. And use in here are normal. Why? Because he chose the foolish things of the world to confine the wise. And you're you're foolish, every one of us. But now we're not foolish. We're saints of God. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we need to stand up and we need to praise God. We need to worship Him with all our hearts and all our minds because the time is coming when it's very short. Amen. Jesus is coming. And, and I, I'm not even sure, am I ready? I'm not even sure. But I just keep reading the Word. I keep reading the Word and getting the Word down inside me to know God more and more and more. And I praise God for the time I've had of I let Him have. Yeah, yeah.
0: Disruptions. Disruptions. Divine disruption. Every now and again I run into, oh no, look, it's good, it's good. Like I say, I'll get it back when I want it back. And I was was a kid in school, you know, every now and again I run into teachers and, um, you know, my report card was one of those ones, could do so much more if he just focused, just paid attention. And I was paying attention. I just wasn't always paying attention to the right thing, especially as I got later through my high school years. And see, I was always going to be a vet. That was my goal since I was probably about, I don't know, six years old, seven years old. And then I found this guy Jesus again when I was about 14. And within about six weeks, that desire, which had been a lifelong thing, I'd set up everything and my school options had just disappeared. And, and I, I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to be a youth pastor. I, I wanted to serve him. I wanted to follow him with everything I had. And so suddenly science and all these things, I still b- b- paid attention. I still passed most of my classes. I didn't bother turning up for my stats exam because uh, I figured not assessed was better than not achieved. Um, but I did quite well in accounting and, and calculus and, and, and all these sorts of things. But I was, so I paid attention, but I was just also paying attention to other things. Because if I could do anything else, I think I'd be a comedian. And what i found is if you stop and look funny, just happens, right? Like there's something funny all the time. And, and so you run into these teachers and they go, you're, you're a pastor now? I'm surprised none of them come to try and disrupt my lessons, right? It's just as, as payback. Um, I, I've been a little bit disruptive in my time. Uh, maybe you are the disruptive one in your family. Maybe you're not. If you don't know, Probably you. If, you. if you can't name the disruptive one in your family. <laughs> but see, I'm spiritually self-aware. I know I'm disruptive. But I want to talk about divine disruption this morning. Because here's what I've discovered. Jesus was disruptive. Jesus was disruptive. The Holy Spirit is disruptive. The church is called to be disruptive. Okay, good. Excellent. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. You know, I would go as far to say as divine disruption is a necessary part of the world we currently live in. I would go as far to say as we need a little bit of divine disruption, not the disruption of the class clown, not the disruption of of whatever it may be, but we need a little bit of divine disruption, you know, two things have happened to me this in the last week or so that have kind of got me thinking about this. Number one, uh, we had to graciously ask, because we want Emily to have as much success in the youth group as she can. Uh, and she's doing a great job. You should have seen there was soap and all sorts of things down here on Tuesday. I don't. Oh, it was a good time. Great time. Wednesday. Yeah, that. <laughs> uh, but we had to graciously ask a few disruptive young people to not attend any longer. And that was a hard thing to do. But at the same time, we sort of went, we, Emma and I, we're going to keep journeying with these people because we see a sense of that disruptive calling. You know, it's funny. Often it's the disruptive kids that end up being the youth pastors. <laughs> Emily, were you a disruptive kid? Slightly, Slightly maybe a little bit. And uh, so we want to compete. We want to keep investing there. And uh, the other thing that, that we want to do is we're praying for a divine disruption. In some of those lives. And then we were at the, um, that Baptist thing I told you about last week. There were 30 of us around the age of 30 meeting with Charles, our national leader, and Ethan, our, our youth and young adults catalyst, uh, talking about the future of the Baptist churches of New Zealand. Gospel renewal. What would it look like if gospel renewal came to our nation? And, and, and we were told as, as young people, but not just as young people, as this generation We need to be more disruptive. I don't know if it's a gamble for the national leader to tell a bunch of young people to be more disruptive. We'll see if that pays off. But there was a permission giving, and I want to give you permission this morning to engage in a little bit of divine disruption. What is divine disruption as opposed to just like selfish disruption? Some of the things that I've got here, divine disruption seeks to challenge injustice. It seeks to challenge oppression and inequality. Divine disruption is grounded in love and compassion, a desire for positive change. This is the disruption. For God so loved the world that He disrupted. He sent His only Son. He disrupted the status quo, rooted in this love, this compassion, this desire for positive change. um, It confronts issues with a heart of reconciliation. See, often there was nothing about reconciliation and my disruptions. I just wanted attention, affirmation, a laugh. I remember Michael Jr., uh, for those of you who are familiar or unfamiliar, comedian, Christian comedian, he talks about when his comedy became a ministry was when it switched from getting a laugh from people to giving a laugh to people. That's his divine disruption. And, and so he'll, he'll minister in hospitals to give laughter, which disrupts the pain and the anxiety. It's, it's, it's a relief as opposed to, like, I need to get a laugh to know that I'm loved. This is divine disruption. Whereas our, our worldly disruption is self-seeking. It's divisive. It's harmful to others. It's driven by a desire of greed, pride, or a need for power and control. And I wanted to have sort of a landing scripture for today. You know, like a good, good Baptist pastor, we should have a good solid scripture that we can chew on. And we should be able to sit there and go, this is the example in the Bible that reveals divine disruption. But I couldn't find one because it's everywhere. It's the whole thing. Like from the very beginning, we see the divine disruption of God. And I can just give you example after example after example this morning, and you'll see some of them as we go. But I just want you to think I want you to think about being Abraham. Abraham's got a life, he's got a family, he's got, well, he hasn't got a family at that stage, but he's got some things going on. And God turns up and he says, Hey, pack up and go. Where? I'll keep you posted. Abraham's living his life, and the divine disruption of God breaks through. About Moses. Moses is living his life, Prince of Egypt. Such a I'm still going on about it, I know. He's living his life, and then out of nowhere, this disruption, this burning bush. Right? And then Moses approaches this burning bush and has an encounter with God that no one's ever had before. He introduces himself to him as Yahweh. He says, your your ancestors know me as Elohim, but by my name, Yahweh, I have not made myself known to them. God disrupts his theology. He disrupts his royalty, his divine disruption. Let's think about some other ones. Uh, Hosea, just living his life, loves the law of God. Talks about, you know, being holy and pure and blameless and not having anything to do with evil. And God turns up and says, hey, it's Goma the prostitute and I want you to make her your wife. Divine disruption. See, sometimes the disruption is to the the individual, but then you also see these people go on to cause in, in the name of their God and with God working through them disruptions of their own. See, Moses has a disruptive encounter with, with, with God in the wilderness and then he goes and he disrupts Egypt. He says, let my people go. And there's plagues and there's famine. You know, there's all these things going on because there's this divine disruption and the divine disruption sets God's people free Amen. so that they might be reconciled to Him. You know, Hosea's life wasn't just disrupted by God. Gomer's life was disrupted by Hosea in a positive way. I I mean, we could just keep going, right? You think of any Bible character you can pull out and you will see the divine... Elijah, how many times did Elijah engage in divine disruption? Showdown with the prophets of Baal. Widow's oil, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Elisha, right? Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, you know, all these divine disruptions happening. Uh, There's this guy called Saul. (laughs) He was divinely disrupted. He's on a complete mission, right, to... To, to persecute Christians, to protect the holiness of the law of Moses. And God disrupts him by knocking him off his ass, his donkey, quite literally, on the road to Damascus. And saying, Saul, why do you persecute me? By the way, when you get up, you're going to be Paul. God is disruptive, man. And, and I've noticed something that the church of the 21st century likes the divine, but not the disruption. We want a healthy dose of the divine, but if I could stay away from the disruption, that would be really good for me. God, just don't disrupt my life. And I notice that we try to preach sermons that kind of promise this. Come to God and your life will be disruption free. It's like that is a weird sales pitch. Hey, here's this guy who disrupted Adam and Eve, disrupted Abraham, disrupted Moses, disrupted uh, Daniel, disrupted David, disrupted Elijah and Elisha, disrupted Saul, disrupted, di- disrupted his own son, his own life, disrupted the early church, but he's done with disrupting. Now. now he just does the divine. Weird sales pitch. I'm telling you now, coming to Jesus, your life will never be more disrupted. But as I said, it will never be more stable. See, we mistake disruption for instability. But it's the disruption of God that brings peace, that brings stability. Jesus' divine disruption puts us on the path to His glory. I mean, when you think about it, Jesus' whole life was one big divine disruption. There's this condition of the world. We, I quoted it before, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he sent his son. For God so loved the world that he saw its brokenness and said, I need to disrupt that. And he sends Jesus into the world. And we, again, we think of Jesus as divine and we go, my life with Jesus is going to be completely non-disruptive. Let me just give you a couple of examples of how Jesus lived his life and what it might have been like to follow him. <laughs> this is one time that Jesus walks into the temple, holy place. Everybody goes, oh, this is, and followers of Jesus probably thought this would be good. This would be great. And Jesus starts flipping tables. Jesus just, just, he he sits down. Says he sits down. He didn't just like, this wasn't something he threw together. He sat down and made a whip. Which, you know, the next time someone says to you, what would Jesus do? Just remember, this was within the realm of possibilities, right? You're being a bit harsh. What would Jesus do? He flipped tables. And so, Jesus goes into this place, but what's he doing? He's disrupting the profiteering of the poor and the marginalized. He's disrupting God's house of prayer being used as a place of profit. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 to 13. Let's, Let's read this one. Let's actually have some scripture on the screen. Matthew 9, verse 10 to 13. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher sit with such scum? We would never think that. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. See, Jesus disrupted the idea of what faith looked like. Jesus disrupts the social system of the church, which says we don't eat with those people. We don't give to those people. We don't share with those people. And Jesus says, well, I do. I am. I will again. In fact, you watch me. Later on, I'm going to sit with about 5,000 of them at the same time. Jesus disrupts our social systems. He disrupts social expectations. Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Jesus went into the synagogue again. Notice that whenever Jesus goes to church, things get disrupted. Jesus goes to the temple, flips a bunch of tables. Jesus goes to church, and he notices a man with a deformed hand. I'll give you this one for free. Anytime Jesus comes to church, church is about to get disrupted. And if you believe that Jesus comes to church on Sundays then we should have an expectation of disruption in our services. If Jesus comes to your house, your house is about to get disrupted. Because Jesus, like me, looking for funny, Jesus was looking for kingdom opportunity. So can we go back to verse 1? Sorry. So Jesus comes into the church again and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Like we're not doing this anonymously. We're going for maximum disruption here. And he turns to his critics and asks, he hasn't done a thing yet. Turns to his critics and asks, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? And they wouldn't answer him. Funny that. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And so the man held out his hand. And it was restored. And at once. The Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. See, not everybody likes disruption. See, sometimes we go, God, I'd like a little bit of divine disruption. But I wonder who we might be in this story if divine disruption happened in our midst on a Sunday morning. And if it happened in someone that we didn't think deserved it. Or someone that we didn't feel overly positively towards. You know, I wonder what it would have felt like to be that man in that moment, you know, who's, who's probably used to just kind of hiding his, his condition. See, we think of the disruption caused in the service because he goes, come to the front. But I imagine there's an element, you know, come to the front. I, I usually just sit in the back. It's kind of good. No one really sees me. I can slip out early. No, no, come, come. Hey, stretch out that hand. No, a little more. It says as he as he stretched out, it was healed. Divine disruption disrupts our lives. There is no divine without disruption. Jesus disrupts legalistic theology by healing on the Sabbath, by healing the sick. He disrupts infirmity. There's this, is, this is other story. I, I, I can't even pull it out because it's so long. It would be a sermon in of its own. But sometime if you want to just go home and read the book of Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Like it's just an entire, like Jesus just gets up and basically goes, I'm just going to disrupt all y'all. Like he gets up and he goes, you've heard it said, but I say. You know, this is how that you do it, but this is what it says. He, he says things like this. Um, Love your enemies. What about the gays? Did I stutter? What about the thieves and the tax collectors? I'm... Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. If someone takes your shirt, give them your pants as well. <laughs> like that's disruptive. <laughs> As much as anything, I feel like that's disruptive for the guy who robbed you. (laughs) Like if someone takes your jacket, you go, oh well. Like I think at that point, you're like, have the jacket back. (laughs) I'm uncomfortable, this is weird. There's this other story where Jesus is walking and it says he had to go through, John chapter four, it says he had to go through Samaria had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. That was a very deliberate detour. And he goes through Samaria to talk to a Samaritan who he's not supposed to talk to and a woman who he's not supposed to talk to because Jesus disrupts cultural barriers. He disrupts ethnic and gender divides so that he might bring living water. He uses this woman to disrupt the whole town. This woman goes back so changed by her disruption that she disrupts everybody else. She doesn't even care anymore. Prior to that moment, prior to her divine disruption, she's just trying to go through her life as anonymously as possible. She carries shame, she carries guilt, she's ostracized, I just just don't want to be seen. She has a divine disruption. You know how hard that gets to say after about the 20th time? (laughs) She has a divine disruption and she goes back and she goes, I'm going to tell everybody. Everybody is going to know. I will knock on every door. I will put pamphlets in every letterbox. I will advertise on my Facebook. I will do everything I can to make sure that people understand that this divine disruptor wants to disrupt them. But the divine disruption puts us on a path to glory. You know, actually, see, when you start looking for this, as you know, remember when I said about funny just happens when you look for it. When you look for disruptions in the Bible, you just find them. Uh, Let's just start with the book of John. We were just in John chapter 4, right? So John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. Jesus steps down, disrupts our status quo. John chapter 2. Jesus is at a wedding trying to play it undercover and they run out of wine. Jesus disrupts the wedding by turning water into wine. This is another example of what happens when hearts are turned towards God. Because Mary, his mother, comes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, what's that got to do with me? And she turns to the people who are with her, the servants that are with her. And she says, do what he says. And she just walks off. And I imagine, you know, Bill Johnson talks about it like this. That Jesus turns to his father and goes, I guess we're doing this. Because he can't help himself, right? He responds to faith. He says, it's not my time. It's got nothing to do with me. She says, in faith, just do what he says. And he goes, all right then. See, where there's faith, Jesus disrupts the party. And he disrupts it so well that they go, man, normally people bring out the cheap wine later in the night. But you've brought out the best wine. So John chapter 1, John chapter 2. John chapter 3, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. They're having a bit of theology conversation. And Jesus says, hey, by the way, uh, unless you're born again, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, Nicodemus goes, well, that's disruptive. And Jesus says, I said what I said. (laughs) John chapter 4, the woman at the well. John chapter 5, Jesus finds himself at this pool of Bethesda which was a pagan medicinal pool that was a scam run by the local government. And they used to release the aqueducts into it and the water would bubble. And when it bubbled, these people would pay a prime price to sit next to the pool so that they might get in it. And Jesus turns up. I know that's not the story you've been told, right? And Jesus turns up. It's on their signs. I've seen them, not in person, but I've seen the signs that say pagan medicinal baths. These were not godly miracles that were happening this was not an angel of the lord that would stir the water it was a manipulation and jesus turns up and says to the paralyzed guy why have you not been healed yet like he's making fun of the whole system and then he heals the guy he disrupts this guy's life in the the most positive way but not only that he disrupts the scam that's being run by the roman empire and everybody in that moment gets set free See, often we look at that and go, why would Jesus go in and heal one person? No, no, no. Jesus went through and set free a whole town that day. Jesus is disruptive. John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. 5,000 people who have all gathered. Now, you've got to understand, in that culture, nobody ate together except with like kind. And it tells us that those 5,000 people were just a crowd. There were Pharisees, Samaritans, disciples, skeptics, all sorts of different things going on. And Jesus says, you feed them. He gets the loaves and the fish. He does the whole miracle. The biggest miracle of that day, I've said this before, was not that he fed 5,000 people. It's that 5,000 people of diverse culture, ethnicity, and gender sat down and ate a meal together. Because God is in the business of reconciliation. He's in the business of divine disruption. This is helping some people this morning. Even the way that Jesus called the disciples. You know, Dave touched on this uh, this morning. Angeline touched on this this morning. The people that God calls didn't make sense. They went, who? who?" Right? Why Why would you pick them? Like Bible college dropouts. Uneducated. Fishermen. Tax collectors. And Jesus goes, these are the people because I have chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Angeline said, you weren't made to fit in. You were made to fit out. It's almost like God had a plan here this morning. You were made to cause divine disruption. Jesus disrupted expectations. He, dis- he disrupted theology. He disrupted social norms. He disrupted prejudice. He disrupted the kingdom. Of earth, in order that he would establish the kingdom of heaven, Jesus disrupted sickness, he disrupts demonic oppression, and then he dies on the cross. And everybody goes, Huh? What? Weren't we just getting started? And then on the third, there's something about the third. You said it this morning. There's something about the third. He gets up. And I love I love how it's described in Acts chapter 2. Peter describes it this way. Did I give you that one? Acts chapter 2. Here we go. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. The divine disruption of heaven. Even disrupts death. And this Jesus appears before his disciples and says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the words that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you when? Until the end of the age. That disruptive God is still disrupting here and now today. He entrusts that disruptive ministry to His church. If you think your pastor's disrupted, let me tell you, he's just getting started. <laughs> Let's say, like. And the church has been on the forefront of disruptive change forever since. You know, think of William Wilberforce. Disrupts the slave trade. Because of his love for Jesus. He says, We shouldn't do this anymore. Think of Martin Luther the Reformation, you know, the, 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 the birth of the Protestant Church, he goes and he nails his 500 letters, not to the back door, to the front door of the Catholic Church. This disruptive man, because such is God in him, such is the conviction of God that this isn't how it should be. You now that was Martin Luther. Then we have Martin Luther King, Jr. Well, he was disruptive. He was a Baptist. Don't tell me Baptists can't be disruptive. (laughs) Martin Luther King disrupted the entire world with his I have a dream speech. And that disruption changed the trajectory of slavery and racism in our world. Still changing the world today. And his motivation was the divine disruption of Jesus Christ in his life. You know, it was John Wesley who looked at the society that he lived in and said, you know, black kids should be able to read too. Because the kingdom of God says there's no male, female, Jew, Gentile. We're all one in Christ Jesus. The modern education system, well, let's not go quite as far as the modern education system. (laughs) The early education system was the love child of the church was the church saying, you know what? The world should have access to education, not just the elite. You go to any founding school in this country, you will find a plaque. You'll probably have to move some hebes, But you'll find a plaque somewhere in a garden that says this school dedicated to what? The glory of God. Because it was Christians who disrupted and said people deserve an education. It was Christians who disrupted and said, you know what? People should be able to access health care. Can I get real with you for a minute? Yeah. In the 1980s, when the AIDS pandemic was at its peak, and the early LGBT community were the great unwashed, the modern day leper of their time, it was Catholic nuns who were all trained as nurses who said those people deserve health care. You know, someone said to me recently when they heard about the the relationships that we've been building with the LGBT community, like, I didn't think the church liked them. I'm like, ridiculous. The only reason that the world loves the LGBT community today is because Jesus and the church love them first. (laughs) I separated the room there. I I, I felt that. Like, that's a little bit of divine disruption for you this morning. Selah, sit on this. Jesus disrupts things. <sighs> you know, there's this church. It's on the corner of a little, little provincial town. Just sits. Not many people know about it. But it's got some disruptive people in it. And it's got some disruptive goals, and as one of those goals, it put a counsellor at Bahá'í Intermediate School, so that we might disrupt. It's us. If you haven't worked that out, it's us. <laughs> um, so that we might disrupt the systemic mental health of a generation. There's this is little church that 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 took on this project that Teneka spearheaded called Shine Girl, Shine Woman so that we might divinely disrupt self-confidence issues in young girls, that we might disrupt the narrative of social media that says you have no worth, you have no strength. There's this church that started a capped debt centre that Kim Hollis gets involved with and she works with WINS and she works with all these other uh, different, different people and so that we might disrupt systemic poverty in our nation. There's a building for sale on the roadside up here that I wonder if a church might buy so that we could start a journey towards some kind of social housing so that we might address the systemic homelessness in our nation. Why? Because Jesus disrupts things. He's a divine disruption. You know, there's this church that believes so much in the divine disruption of God that we hired a youth worker that she might put soap all over our backyard, <laughs> spread out some tarpaulins, make a whole lot of noise that might disrupt the neighbours, but, but might show something of the kingdom of God to a young person who's called and made in the image of God. And we took that same youth worker and we put them in Mulberry Girls but for 15 hours a week because we saw a statistic that said up to 70% of the year nine students struggle with suicidal thoughts. And we thought we need to disrupt that. Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: See, I love what Charles Hewlett, our national leader says about gospel renewal is restoring everything that sin has marred. Everything that sin, sorry, did I say destroying? Restoring everything that sin has marred. You are called to disrupt. Churches and Christians should be on the forefront of societal change. Challenging and disrupting things like poverty, oppression, the cultural norms. You are the fruit of a divine disruption. And you are called to be the seeds of divine disruption today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. The NIV says it this way. Our weapons are not carnal. They are mighty in God for tearing down strongholds. They are mighty in God for disrupting the status quo. They are mighty in God for disrupting and leading people on a path to glory, which brings me to some challenging reflection questions this morning. Who are you disrupting? And I don't mean me. Where are you causing divine disruption? When was the last time following Jesus caused disruption in your life? See, Jesus was, was, it was one thing for Jesus to divinely disrupt, but Jesus was also okay with, also okay with being disrupted. There's, there's this one story where Jesus is walking to a house because he's been disrupted. This, this guy called Jairus comes up to him. And he's in the middle of something, and Jairus comes up to him and says, can I interrupt? Can I interrupt? My daughter is sick. She's dying. I need you to come. And Jesus says, no, that's very disruptful. I have a plan today. I had, you, you will need to make an appointment for next Tuesday. That's the next available day in my diary. Jesus says, Let's go. And then on the way to Jairus' house, on the way to heal Jairus's sick daughter, this woman pushes through the crowd. And she's had a an internal hemorrhaging issue for twelve years. And she reaches, she's not even supposed to be there. She's not allowed to be there. But in her desperation, she disrupts and she reaches out and she touches Jesus' garment and Jesus stops and everybody says, Jesus, we're in a hurry. We're going to Jairus' house. And he says, no, 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 we need to stop because someone touched me. Someone reached out for me. I want you to know that you are not a disruption to Jesus. And he turns around and he says to this woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be healed. And in the midst of this disruption, Jairus' daughter dies. And people go, Jesus, if you just hadn't been interrupted, if you hadn't allowed yourself to get waylaid, if you had been interested in the divine and not interested in the disruption, maybe this would have gone differently. And Jesus goes, everybody out. Like he gets all that unbelief out of the room. (laughs) And he says, daughter, wake up. Because Jesus disrupts even death. And she wakes up. And Jesus gives his disruption ministry to the church. And the church has been disrupting. And the world is in a better place because of it. You want to start keeping score about the hurts of the church and there are some and we shouldn't neglect them but there are also a lot of good things the church has done throughout history. Where are you causing divine disruption? When was the last time following Jesus caused disruption in your life? If it didn't, I would submit you're not following him. You might be watching him, you might be spectating him but if you're following him it will disrupt you. And finally, where are you being called to be disruptive this week? How could you be disruptive? In the divine sense, not the self-seeking sense. Who could you love that's unlovable? Who could you give to An amount of money that you wouldn't even feel and it would change their life forever. Who could you cook a meal for? Who could you advocate for? Who's had their voice taken away from them? Selah. When God disrupts our life, it shifts us to the path to his glory. And I would never have it any other way. Let's pray. Lord, we are here this morning because you have disrupted us. Somewhere along the line at some time we were living our life and your glory, your grace broke through. Every single one of us has a different story of how that happened. But the truth is we have been disrupted by you. And our life Has never been the same. We're here on a Sunday morning when everybody else is mowing their lawns or going to the beach or doing whatever else they may be doing because you have disrupted us and we love it. We are disturbed people. Lord, we commit to being agents of divine disruption in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces. In our friend circles. Lord, help us not to just go with the status quo, but help us to see where you are moving. Lord, I wonder what my life would have been like as a teenager if instead of looking for the joke, I was looking for the move of God. I wonder what our lives would be like today if instead of looking for the next dopamine hit or instead of looking at the next appointment, we might stop in the moment and say, God, where are you disrupting today? Lord, as we commit to being people of disruption, may we also become okay with being disrupted as you bring those that you love into this church in their brokenness in their mess as you come on Sunday with them would we allow you to disrupt our services to disrupt our agenda that we could make a difference in their lives in the same way that you have made such a difference in ours That we would lead them, not to ourselves, not to connect, not to our programs, but to the one and only Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name. Amen. Amen. Amen.